I'm John McDevitt, along with Paul Kurtz, and welcome to KYW's Beer and Booze Bros. Today on the podcast, we're at Spring Mountain Ski Area in Schwanksville, Pennsylvania. Now, we are at the uh, Holiday Hops Beer Festival, where there are about 40 reps here pouring samples of craft beer and cider to the crowd. It's, it's getting out to events like this and tasting what's available locally. You know, it's always good that farm-to-table kind of a thing. What you're tasting is just sweet, sour, salty, and bitter. And when it comes to mouthfeel, mouthfeel gives you things like chalkiness, carbonation, um, like weight in the mouth, so low body, high body. I brew beer, I make beef jerky, I make dog biscuits out of the grains from brewing beer. And you're a black belt. And I'm a black belt. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Keep that on the down low, then. And later in the podcast, we sample soju. So who? Soju. Oh. This is the place to come to. We, we can uh, curate your soju experience um, <laughs> in a safe manner. An Old City Bar is whipping up a hot, boozy beverage menu to warm you up in the winter weather. And classic movies with classic cocktails. The Philadelphia brother and sister duo tell us how to make the drinks movie stars were drinking back in the day. Casablanca, which features a French 75, one of our favorite cocktails. Gin, lemon, little simple syrup, and bubbles. They are authors and on TV. First up, we take you to suburban Philadelphia and the Ski Lodge at Spring Mountain, which held its inaugural Holiday Hops Festival in December. John and I spoke to some brewers and imbibers of beer and cider. Tell me when you uh, amped up your game from uh, Bud Light to craft beer. Oh, no, 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 we're kidding, we're driving up. I said to my wife, I said, can't wait for a cold Bud Light. My wife, Kelly, she's there. They probably won't have it. When we go to the Flyers games, we, have a, we go to a bunch of games every year, we always get Bud Lights. So I was kidding, I can't wait for a cold Bud Light. Kelly's saying, oh, they probably won't have Bud Light here and all No that. Bud Light here. But when we did pull in, there was a Bud, Bud, Budweiser van outside. Now, have you tried some of the beers here? Oh, just about every one so far. <laughs> we have a couple in the front room, but we've hit the, the whole back room upstairs. Anything you liked in particular? Not, not the biggest dark beer, like, yeah, yeah the dark, heavy ones. You've tried every one? Almost. Almost. We will have that accomplished in about 22 minutes. <laughs> Give us 22 minutes. You give us 22 minutes, we'll give you every beer in, in this friggin' place. Yeah, you know what? I like that. You know what? I have beers two, four, six times a day. That's it. Hey, wait, you want a job? On the hour. You know, every, every two on the hour. That's it. I have a beer then. We salute you. All right, good. <laughs> Magic Cat, indeed. Yeah, you've been around a long time, uh, very successful. Yeah, we're one of the uh, the originals, kind of the pioneers of craft beer. I always tell people that, uh, like for most people, people tell me, uh, number nine's kind of like the uh, the gateway craft beer. You know, it's the first one that they had that got them into to this great, wonderful world of beer. You know, as we as we do these interviews, we're finding that gateway that term a lot with with uh, in you know. To introduce, I guess, the Miller Lite and the Budweiser people 
into the beautiful world, wonderful world of craft beer, right? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, that's the, the biggest. That's the biggest portion of the market is still the uh, domestic beer drinker. So that's what you're always after. You know, you get a little piece of that pie and it helps your brewery. And I was uh, I was struck by what I'm seeing. You've got three uh, offerings today, and uh, maybe you can describe them for us uh, because I've not seen them or tasted them. So uh, two of them are fairly new. Uh, we have the Art Hop Ale, which is an 8% Imperial Blonde Ale. It's got a little bit of blood orange in there. And that's a really neat beer. Uh, one of the cool things about that, that's a different program we have every year where the uh, the artwork for the beer, uh, hence the name Art Hop Ale, that comes from a, a local artist. We have a contest every year, mostly in Vermont, where the beer is brewed. And uh, whoever wins gets their artwork on a beer. So um, every year we refresh the artwork for that. The second beer is uh, brand new. This is uh, called TFG, or Taken for Granted. Um, this is actually uh, not even rolled out nationwide. We, we launched it in Vermont in New Hampshire and in Philadelphia. And what, what's, what's so special about that? What do you, what, what's, so that's... Um, can I have some of that? Yeah, of course. It? Absolutely. So I think what's great about this beer, it's kind of a... I don't want to call it a New England-style IPA because it's not technically, but what's similar about it, you know, most IPAs are great because they have a, a nice bitterness to them, kind of a uh, hoppy, piney bitterness. It smells um, great. It yeah. Smells really what's great good. about this is the fruit flavors that are really... It's very fruit-forward. Yeah. So you're going to get a lot of orange, a lot of grapefruit, a lot of cherry. Um, those, those flavors, even a little peach in there, really neat. Um, so that beer's great. Electric Peel is our third beer. That beer's been around for about three years. Um, and this is a grapefruit IPA. Um, grapefruit was kind of like the big popular uh, trend a couple years ago. And we were kind of at the forefront of that. Um, everyone had a grapefruit beer for a while. We were talking to a woman. Uh, she gravitates to pine beer. I, I would think pine would be more seasonal, like for winter. But like you have summer fruits in with with pine. It's yeah. like that's pretty cool. It's just yeah, IPAs tend to have that pineiness to them. That's really a characteristic. And uh, really, the West Coast is where that really began. The West Coast IPAs were very hop forward and very piney, um, whereas the East Coast IPAs were a little more mild. Um, and then now this New England style has become more popular. That juiciness, that's what people are looking for. That like It's different hops that impart a lot of it, um, just different hop characters. So it's really neat. You had mentioned rolling out this uh, TFG in three cities. Philadelphia is one of them. Yep. How important is Philadelphia to uh, Magic Cat? It's um, actually, I mean, it's, you, well, that tells you right there. This is our, our focus beer for the year, and we got to launch it here over anywhere else. Not New York, not D.C., not any of these other great beer cities. You know, it's Philadelphia, so that, it's that awesome. Was, that was this one. Yeah, yeah, the one you're having. Yeah, we were really honored. I mean, I think that we did a good job so far for the company. They gave us that honor. But, yeah, it was really cool for us. We're, we're starting to now roll it out nationally. But it was here first. So, no, this has always been one of our best markets. And, you know, as a Philadelphia myself, it's great. So you taught me a term. Hop bomb. Hop bomb, yes. And, and what does that mean to you? Hop bomb is just basically like you drink that and long short of it is that punch in the face of hoppiness, that super bitterness. Kind of gets you like Yeah, right in the right in the throat. Right so the throat. yeah, so exactly. So as soon as you drink that, it just punches you right in the face. Whereas we hop have bomb. Hop bomb. I get that hop bomb. Yes, yes so <laughs> Cheers. Jerry Ross, Coachville, PA. I hear you're like Wonder Woman. I hear you do everything. I yeah, a little bit. I do. I brew beer. I make beef jerky. I make 
dog biscuits out of the grains from brewing beer. And you're a black belt. And I'm a black belt. Oh, yeah. Okay. Keep that on the down low, then. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I want you on my side if something goes down here, all right, Jerry? Okay. All right. Uh, so, so you're a home brewer as well. Yes. What, do you, what types of beer do you like? I like hoppy beers, IPAs. Like, it can't be too hoppy for me. But I also like stouts and porters, something that has a little more richer flavor. So on a typical night, would you sit uh, at home by the fire, um, kicking back with a nice... Um, uh, pale ale and uh, uh, munching on some beef jerky and um, dog bones? I would probably if I'm sitting at home by the fire, it would be more like a, a porter or a stout. Alright, porter or stout, does it go uh, what goes better with the porter or stout? Jerky or the dog bones? I say the dog bones with the porter. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. All right, you're welcome. My name is Bill Mullen. Jim Harmstead. And how did you find out about this? I heard it on KYW about a month ago, so I figured it would be a great opportunity to, to get out and enjoy uh, the tasty beers of the area. Brought my bro, Jim, with me, and we did it. The bro, 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 yeah, the, that's cool. You're going to be one of our honorary beer and booze bros today. <laughs> okay. Excellent. So, uh, what, right, yeah, I, I was just, so we, we're drinking a cider. Now, you guys, I, I, I was wearing my coat with the KYW logo on it. You guys saw me, and you guys are... are, are Listeners, and you, you came here. Now, you rec- highly recommend it, Bill, right? We, we yeah, highly recommend this, this cider. particular cider, yes. It's, it's fantastic. Unfiltered the Cider Way by New England Down East. It's a very good cider. It actually tastes like apple pie in a glass. So we, we all have a little sample here. Um, you're right. Apple pie, sure. But I'm also getting very crisp apples, like a Granny Smith or... Okay, I'm getting it now. Now I'm getting the pie. I'm getting the I'm getting the pie right now. It's fresh. It's 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 flavorful. Is that? It's a, it's a, a cider, not beer. It's Let's a go. traditional cider, and the way it was described was it has your holiday spices in it. And those holiday spices, considering that it's a cider, would be your cinnamons and your sugars and other things that would bring it around to the taste of an apple pie. So that's what you get. Pick up what you were saying, right? It's just like bourbons, wines, beers. Cider falls right in there where you have tastes that hit your palate in the very beginning. So you hit those sugars of the of the apple, that tartness, that freshness of the apple. And then as it kind of, you know, goes across your palate and kind of warms up in your mouth and everything, the taste changes. And then you kind of get that the spice and, and it, you know, it hits your, your nose because it's got, a, you know, all your, all your taste, a lot of it's up in your nose. So... You have to get the, that smell up in there, and then you get all those nuances, and that's the whole thing. That's what the craft beer and, and ciders and everything is all about. They want you to, to, they want to challenge your palate and pick up on all those different little things that they're that they're adding in their recipe. That they're just, you know, as they're brewing it, they're hoping that somebody is going to recognize their genius in their recipe. Are, are you strictly doing the cider today, or are you doing? No, it? no, uh, we're we're doing the whole gamut. Okay, cool. We are going to take a quick break. We come back, the science of beer. I can explain that to you as banana, but that to me is ethyl acetate or isoamyl acetate. I can say cloves, but that's four vinyl guayacol for me. So when I say carnations, you'll say, you're like, oh yeah, I get it, because you smell flowers. But you don't spend time in a lab smelling what four vinyl guayacol smells like. Welcome back to the Beer and Booze Bros. 
I had uh, an informative and uh, very interesting conversation with the director of production operations for Vault Brewery. Uh, his name is Amay Munker, and he really has an impressive resume. Yeah, hi. Uh, would you like our rye pale ale or Belgian lager? Uh, I'll go with the Belgian. Okay. Tell me about it. Sure. Um, our Belgian blonde is a very traditional style blonde ale. It's it's all about yeast character. So we're trying to make sure that the, while we want to balance malt and the other characters, the hops take a backseat here. And it's all about the yeast showing what it can do. We use an Arden strain. So Arden is from Belgium. It's an area in Belgium. So it tends to be very fruity, lots of cloves. Um, essentially... It's going to be a little bit floral, like carnations, cloves, carnations, as well as a little bit of banana character as well that we're trying to get. So a little bit ester forward. So both are yeast characters. Let's go over the selection you have. Uh, in terms of the beer we make, we tend to balance out between three major styles. So Mark, our brewmaster, he's a very traditional brewer in how he likes to make beer. In his words, we're a vinyl-style brewery. We like to keep things a bit traditional, even though you don't necessarily need vinyl because technology's changed, we still enjoy it because it's nostalgic. And so the beers we make are kind of driven by Mark's ethos is how we make beer. And so Mark loves making dark beers, so some of our best-rated beers are stouts, imperial stouts, porters, as well as we tend to make IPAs very traditionally, almost in the English style, so a little bit more malt body, more traditional like West Coast hops rather than a lot of crazy new hops. Yes, we still work with Australian hops. One of our owners is actually from Australia, so that's inspired us to use Australian types hops like Galaxy in some of our beers. And also, like the beer you're drinking now, it's a Belgian style beer, so Mark's, Mark likes to tip his hat to the old school brewers, and that's kind of how we make our beer. And this, this is delicious. Uh, the yeast really, really does come through. Now, you, you seem to have a very good palate, the, the way you described what I'm drinking. Mm -hmm. And I don't have a good palate. I, I'm not getting the carnations. Sure. I'm getting the yeast. Um, I'm probably... Banana notes? Yeah, you'll get a lot of banana there, which is, again, a yeast character. And so um, I, in, my, in a past life, I was a brewer. Then I was a brewing consultant for the last three years. And I'm also a judge for the Great American Beer Festival as well as the World Beer Cup. So my, they pay me the small to medium bucks to taste beer and to be able to taste beer and make it better based on that. Wow. I envy you to be able to get all that. You know? yeah. As delicious as this is, I mean, you're, you've got... You know, I'm always blown away by some of the descriptions that I read, like in Rate Beer and Beer Advocate. They talk about mouthfeel. And yeah, and you know what's really important for me on the back end, on the technical side of beer, is I can explain that to you as banana, but that to me is ethyl acetate or isoamyl acetate. I can say cloves, but that's four vinyl guayacol to me. So my brain will process it as the chemical it is, but then saying those things to you, it's not sticky information. So when I say carnations, you'll say, you're like, oh yeah, I get it, because you smell flowers. But you don't spend time in a lab smelling what four vinyl glycol smells like. And so essentially my job is to make sure that we get our flavors right on the back end, and then we find a really good way to connect those to the customer. So, because it's, if I give you beer without actually framing the story, it's really hard for you to enjoy it. So if I give you a better story about the beer, your perception and your enjoyment is going to, going to improve. It's kind of telling me that when you take the sip, it should be all about the nose and, and what you're what you're smelling, and then on the back end, what 
you're tasting. Is that right? Yes. And so, you know, on the brewing side, on the quality side, we focus on two to three things. We focus on what is the flavor, which is the aroma, so what you smell, what you taste, and the mouthfeel. And you have three aspects to that. So what you smell is pretty much almost 90% of what you're tasting. What you're tasting is just sweet, sour, salty, and bitter. And when it comes to mouthfeel, mouthfeel gives you things like chalkiness, carbonation, um, like weight in the mouth, so low body, high body. And so you're trying to balance all those things to make sure that you're getting the beer that you wanted to design. And on the front end, for a consumer, it's a little bit broader than that. It's important to consume the beer with your eyes, with all your senses, ideally, because if I give you a dark beer, you already have some preconceived notions as to how it's going to taste. So you're drinking with your eyes at that point, even before you you grab the glass. As I'm pouring you your beer, you you already have in your mind a certain idea of what, what you want it to be like, and then you create an expectation. You taste the beer, and if the expectation and what you expand the beer is separate, then your experience is not as fun. But say, I tell you what to taste, it's much easier for you to then be approachable to the product I'm trying to make. So essentially, it's like, if I give you a screwdriver and say use it as a chisel, versus this is a chisel, use it as a chisel. Wow. That's impressive. Are, are you like the equivalent of a, a sommelier? Uh, yes. Yeah, so I also am a certified Cicerone. So tell me, tell me what your sophisticated palate tastes and feels and smells when you uh, open up a, a, a nice can of Miller Lite and, and you take that in. What are you getting? Okay, so that's a, it's interesting that you brought up that beer because I used to work for Miller Brewing in a past life too. <laughs> so I'm not going to say anything bad about them. It's, it's all about horses for courses. It's all about saying Miller Lite was designed so that you can drink six of them when you're out at a game. And beer doesn't always have to be the focal point of your evening. Sometimes you and I want to talk about our lives. The beer is just the background music. Sometimes you want to sit and talk about the flavors of our rye pale ale. We can do that too. And so the beer then becomes the focal point. And so then you're focused on flavor. So it's really hard to say that one's better than the other. I'll just say one's good for one one period in time the other is another alright wow that's amazing you guys are amazing uh, sure thank you very much I'll, I'll try that other one hey Paul yes John have you ever heard of soju no how do you spell it S-O-J-U. It's a clear distilled beverage. Most brands are made in South Korea. It's well-known worldwide and becoming more popular here in our region. You're going to love it. You're going to be hooked on soju after really? you hear this. Really? Yeah. I can't wait. Here we go. That's all I need. Another addiction. <laughs> I'm John McDevitt at Southgate at 1801 Lombard Street. That's in the Graduate Hospital area. I'm here with owner Peter Huang. Peter, I'm here to find out about soju, S-O-J-U. What is soju? Soju is a distilled rice liquor. Uh, It is the number one selling liquor in the world right now. Uh, It's sort of like... Sort of tastes like a cross between vodka and uh, sake. So you have four bottles in front of us. Uh, this is what's offered right now. Yeah. So we have. Um, well, it's it's tough working with the PL, PALCB because there's only a certain amount of things that um, 
our, our vendors can get approvals for. So that it, it's, a, it's a kind of a protracted process. But for right now, we have what we can get, and that is chum uh, um which is a nice, um, it's probably one of the better tasting sojus you'll find. Uh, we have charm, which is like, you know, our basic go-to soju. And uh, we have a couple different versions of uh, Jinro, uh, like the green grape and the grapefruit. And these are fantastic. You've known soju for a long time. This, probably more Americans are, are just kind of discovering it through places like this. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, uh, <laughs> we've had a love-hate relationship with uh, the spirit most of our lives. <laughs> uh, but it's easy to get into because it, it is like vodka, like sake, easily approachable things. A uh, little bit of burn, so it's, it, it, it's, it's not something necessarily that you want to go through a whole, like, whole case of, you know, straight. But with food, there's not much better that goes with it. How different is this from sake? It is fairly similar in that, like, the primary uh, ingredients are, are rice. Um, but just like anything else, in different areas, um, it's evolved in its own way. Um, I think it started in, they started uh, distilling soju in the 13th century. Um, some invaders brought in distilling techniques. They used what they had. They used rice, uh, they used grains, they used uh, barley as the primary spirits. And then when uh, Korea went, went through a rice shortage, they kind of uh, switched up the, the, uh, the, the base a little bit, added some potatoes, sweet potatoes into the mix. So, yeah, just like anything, it goes through the evolutions and, like, changes with the culture of the country that it comes from. Here, we do sell them by the bottle, but we also do um, our own infusions. Uh, we do uh, make a couple different versions. We do a spicy version. Uh, and it depends on what's, what's good for the season. Like, we went through a persimmon batch um, where I think we still might have some toasted rice, nurungji, uh, soju. Uh, and we just ran through our winter cranberry batch, um, so we do try and, and and add a little craft to the uh, the soju offerings. Soju is meant to be shared. You buy a bottle or craft, they run under sixteen dollars, depending on what you order, and you drink from a small cup, around the size of a shot glass. Come back, come back. The little guy packs a powerful punch. The bottle is about half the size of the average wine bottle, but its alcohol content in the entire bottle is a wee bit higher than three glasses of wine, roughly. Yeah. This this one, the grapefruit, though, is my favorite. Um, it almost reminds me of, like, an alcoholic Sprite. Oh, okay, <laughs> cool. So uh, it's spelled uh, C-H-A-M-I-S-U-L, and it's chamisul. Yes, chamisul. Grapefruit. Okay, great. Kambe. 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 Wow. So... This stuff could be dangerous if you drink a lot of it and you, if you don't know what you're doing. You yeah. need a trained professional like yourself to guide you through. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and uh, yeah, this is the place to come to. We, we can uh, curate your soju experience um, <laughs> in a safe manner. When the weather outside is frightful, an old city bar is helping to make it more delightful with warm alcoholic beverages. I'm John McDevitt at Silence Do Goods Tavern here at 216 Market Street in Old City, Philadelphia. I'm with Tiffany Bendistis. Hi, John. Thanks for joining us. And you were the bar manager here. I am. Awesome. So um, you have a hot toddy menu. 
So we started this a couple years ago because we are affiliated with the Big Red Pedal Tours, and they started a hot toddy um, tour to keep you warm on these chilly days, and we just totally ran with it here at Do Goods. Um, we created an actual menu. We didn't want it to stay with one, and some of our um, customers and guests and friends have named the, the renamed the toddies for us, and they gave us ideas for toddies. Now we're up to six, and sometimes we get a little crazy and add 10 to 12. Can you tell us what they are? Yeah, absolutely. So our most um, popular one is the silence cider which we name after our own do goods and it's um, apple cider we spike it with honey jack and we garnish it with uh, cinnamon sugar rim so that's your most traditional hot toddy we then go into baby your firework which is um, a very very exciting one and people like it a lot we take uh, we use still house moonshine whiskey here so we use their red hot which you can compare to a fireball or um, a red hot candy that you have on uh, valentine's day and we put that with apple cider and people just rave and they just absolutely love it my favorite is the caramel apple cider it's a perfect blend of apple cider and sartre caramel vodka so it's not too sweet but just the right amount we top it with lots of whipped cream and a caramel swirl we have a, a hot chocolate menu as well so we have ben's hot toddy named right after our own ben franklin here in old city and we take irish cream and kalua coffee liqueur and we top that with hot chocolate whipped cream and of course a chocolate drizzle we have our sealed with a kiss, which is a delicious blend of hot chocolate and caramel vodka, and we top that with whipped cream and a caramel drizzle. And our most, one of our very popular ones because it's so fun to see, we have um, hot chocolate, and we use whipped vodka, and then we smother it in whipped cream, chocolate chips, fresh marshmallows, and we garnish it with a graham cracker. And of course, that's called the s'more, please. Did you say whipped vodka? Absolutely. So we we have a whole line of vodkas. Uh, we like to use the uh, Faber line, which is made right here in Philadelphia, but Sometimes we have to add a couple other flavors, and we definitely use um, the salted caramel, and we use the whipped vodka. Very cool. And uh, the prices are reasonable, uh, 8 to $10, right? Mostly. Yep, the most expensive one we have would be the s'mores, and that's the $10, but all of them are $8, and you can you know, have one, two, three, or four. Great. So should we try them? Absolutely. All right, so yours is the... I have the caramel apple cider. Mine is? Baby, you're a firework. And a friend of mine is joining us, and this is our Ben Todd Toddy, which is her favorite. Fantastic. All right, great. So, how do we do this? Do we cheers first? Or Absolutely, of course. Is there a certain way that you uh, cheers here at, at your place? With a lot of enthusiasm. <laughs> cheers with a lot of enthusiasm. All right, well, cheers. All right, cheers. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. We go to Fishtown to talk with the Darlingtons, Tanaya and Andre Darlington, Philadelphia residents, authors, and speakers. I sat down with the brother-sister duo to talk about two of their books involving cocktails, movie night and menus, and booze and vinyl. I also found out about their TV gig. Well, Turner Glass and Movies wanted a cocktail book, and then they wanted a cocktail plus cookbook. So what we did... They hired you guys? They hired us. What? You're them? That's us. TCM. Uh, all through February, through February and March, really? in between every movie, suggesting it's you guys. Yeah, you'll see us. We're the we're the entertainment lifestyle <laughs> food and food and drink experts for Turner Classic Movies. Party makers. <laughs> and from that book, we yeah. love Casablanca, which features a French seventy-five, one of our favorite cocktails: gin, lemon, little simple syrup, and bubbles. And you see Ingrid Bergman drink it there on film. And oh, so you, you take a, a, a you take a movie. Literally. And what, what the people, what the actors, actresses are drinking. Yes. You 
tell you how to make it. We tell you how to and make it, and then what to eat with it. So in that case, Moroccan tagine, because it's French-occupied Morocco. Wow. This is really cool. <laughs> awesome. Welcome to the land of bubbles. So the other, your, your other book, please. Yeah, yeah Booze one. and Vinyl, which is 70 of the greatest listening albums of all time, set to an A-side and B-side cocktail. We have things in there like a Led Zeppelin. So we've got a little food in there. One of the fun things is we went back, we did uh, research, we found the cocktail menu from Max's Kansas Fish in New York City and found what the Blondie cocktail was, which is essentially a golden Cadillac, uh, which is cream, um, Galliano. Galliano. Say that again? Cream, Galliano, and, and gin. And is it gin? I think it's gin. I can't remember. For Led Zeppelin, favorite album. Uh, we not only did a Led Zeppelin you can make on the grill, but then we do a Hillfire Punch. Which is from London Secret Society Club uh, from the turn of the 17th to 18th century. It's like a spicy punch, and it's perfect for listening to Led Zeppelin for. Amazing. Thank you both. <laughs> thank this is, you guys oh, are like, thank you. you're boozy royalty. <laughs> I, I'm so honored. Wow. Cheers to you. Thanks for having us on the show. Well, that's a wrap. Another episode down the hatch. You can find and subscribe to Beer and Booze Bros at the new Radio.com app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter at John McDevitt KYW. Paul Kurtz is on Twitter backwards. It's Kurtz Paul. Tom Rickard is a cool sea breeze on a hot summer day, and he helped produce this episode. Beer and Booze Bros here saying goodbye, and uh, we'll have another one for you coming up soon. Cheers, Paul. Cheers, Johnny. <laughs>